Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Break Some Dishes. Hi, John. How are you doing? Hey, Verda. I am doing wonderfully. How are you doing? I'm good. The last time we talked, it was in person. I got to see you in person Gosh. at Neocon. That was fabulous. It was fabulous. You know, just being at Neocon, even though it wasn't the same Neocon, I felt that everybody needed that personal in-person engagement, long overdue. Absolutely. And I spent most of my time at Metropolis's Sustainability Lab because I was super excited about the fact that Metropolis, ASID, IIDA, and the Canadian Interior Design Association have come together and have launched a pledge for our industry. It's something that I've been talking about quite a bit on prior episodes, wishing that we needed a tool like this. And here it is. And this episode is devoted to that. Right, John? Yes, I am so happy that we were able to get behind it and we were able to get some time with two really, really influential people in our industry who had a lot to do with this. And I mean, you and I actually had quite a bit to do with it too. You were part of Avi's task force. I recognize that ASID didn't really have a statement. So Gary and I started working on it as well. Two camps kind of came together at the right time to converge. And Yep. And that would be Avi Rajagopal. He is the editor-in-chief of Metropolis Magazine. And Gary Wheeler, who's the CEO of ASID. And so this is interesting, John. We had them both on. Actually, we did it twice. We tried, right? The first time Gary had horrible internet. It didn't work at all. And that was actually because of climate change, right? It's because the hurricane was approaching the New York area coming from this was back when it it hit New Orleans, right? And so we ended up having to just record Avi a little bit later. And we knew we would see Gary at Neocon, right? So we had a chance yeah. to spend a few minutes with Gary at the Tarquette showroom. Yeah, definitely a different episode style for us, talking to two different people at two different times in two different places. But I think it worked out great and yeah. I'm super excited. Yeah, you got to pivot sometimes. And it, yeah. You know, we wanted them to have a conversation and that didn't quite work out, but I think this will be a very informative and enlightening episode. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Avi, to Break Some Dishes. It's really great to have you here. You're absolutely one of my favorite people. You are doing so much for this industry. Next to me, you're like probably number what two or three, <laughs> but behind right. me, I think. I think two. <laughs> oh boy. Thank you. Thank you so much, John and Rita, for having me on. I really appreciate it. And It's just such a pleasure to be on with you both because both of you through your work have really influenced, you know, how we think about our responsibility in this industry. And, you know, I really appreciate that. It's been an inspiration for us at Metropolis and for me personally. And so very happy to be having this conversation. We need more conversations like this. Mm, Yeah. And I feel like my journey started with you, Avi. This was uh, fall of 2019. And I had just maybe a few months before that, we'd had the horrible fires third year in a row in California. And I was finally waking up to climate change and our part, interior design industry's part in all of that. And you, you were already miles ahead of everyone. You'd already been sounding the alarm 
putting out as many stories and articles as you could using Metropolis as a platform. And one of the things that distinctly remember you saying is that, how does it go? The most sustainable building you can build is is not one at all, or is the one that already exists? It's the one that already exists. That's right. That's right. No, I remember that conversation in 2019 distinctly. We were we were hosting a discussion at your office, Verda, at Studio Plus a San Francisco office, about how designers can be activists through their work. And I think that was such an important conversation for us to have because this is the other thing that even before we talk about climate change or or you know equity or any of those things, the first thing I think we all have to understand is that no matter what kind of change you want to bring in the world, you likely have more influence through your professional work than you do in your personal life. So, you know, you can stop using plastic straws, you can take public transit, you can do all of those things, uh, you know, go vegan if you want. I don't know, you know, you can do all of those things, but the magnitude of impact you can have as a professional is so much higher. You know, we know, for instance, through some studies through Metropolis's sister organization, Think Lab, an interior designer has more purchasing power in terms of taking decisions about purchasing materials and products two or 300 times that of the average consumer, right? So we have this influence and what we choose to do with it, right? And then I think that was the start of the journey for me in one particular sense. So just to, you know, give all our listeners some context, you know, Metropolis has been advocating for sustainability for a long time. Um, In the United States, we were the first design magazine to dedicate an issue to sustainability in 1996. We were the first to report the connections between the um, built environment and climate change. We we published um, Ed Masria's research at that time that the U.S. building industry contributed about 40% of the United States carbon emissions. So we knew that this industry in general and counting architects and other building professionals part of this industry have a responsibility. And, you know, Architecture 2030, which is the nonprofit that Ed Masria founded, created the 2030 Challenge, which was then adopted by the AIA, the American Institute of Architects, as the 2030 Commitment. So architects in general for some time now, at least since the early 2000s, have had a framework within which they can understand how they can change the world. And as you and I talked, Verda, in 2019, I think you know, certainly from a travel's point of view, we'd been talking a lot about responsible specification. We'd been talking about wellness as a very important thing for interior designers to be looking at. We had championed that for many years. Again, first issue on wellness was in 1996. So, you know, we've yeah. been tracking that for a long time as well. But the question is, on particularly climate change, what can interior designers do? And then how does that connect to everything else that they can do? Yeah, I want to say something too. And and I think what's interesting about what you're saying, Avi, is, you know, the collective impact of a profession versus, uh, you know, I don't want to throw this away. I'm going to try to recycle it. And individually, it's very frustrating to live your life trying to make impact. It really is. And I think one of the neat things about your working with ASID is that if you look at what happened in the profession in 2020, during a global pandemic. This is through our outlook report that we did with ThinkLab. Uh, we worked with ThinkLab a little bit on this, found that interior designers specified in 2020 almost $264 billion worth of product. And 90 billion of that was residential 
product. And so I think there's a conception out there that if you're doing residential work, you're not going to make an impact because you're really just specifying a dining room table or a, you know, a kitchen table or a sofa for a family room. And I just want to go back to what you said about the collective impact. That's, that's what it's all about, right? It's not about looking at one individual designer can do. It's what everybody can do. And it's looking at collective impact in a broader sense. And I feel like I'm shocked that I haven't been like pulled off the soapbox because for a while I had been saying, you know, wellness is not enough. We can't just look at people. It has to be a bigger conversation. If we're going to have all these non-toxic products in our workplaces and in our homes, great. But if we can't walk outside our door and breathe the air, what does it matter, right? So the conversation has to be larger. And I've been saying that for a long time. And sometimes I'm like, oh my God, somebody's going to really send me some serious hate mail here. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I just want to point out two things that I've been you know, trying to connecting with professionals about and, and trying to understand that are pretty unique about interior design as opposed to, you know, architecture or structural engineering or, you know, other professions that are in the built environment. The first thing is that I like to say interior design is a really race, um, right? So, you know, John, you're talking about those billions of dollars of products that are being bought every year. Well, in three years' time, five years' time, seven years' time, the people who live with those products are going to say, oh, this doesn't look good anymore. Or, oh, like the, the leg on this chair broke. Or, mm, you know, my kids are older now. Or mm, we were a 5,000-person organization. We're now a 15,000-person organization, right? And so all that stuff is going to get thrown out and new stuff is going to be brought in. But new stuff is going to be brought in by hiring another interior designer. So for most of their careers, interior designers spend their time working in spaces that other interior designers have touched before them in some form or the other, right? And so we have this almost sisterhood between interior designers, right? Where we all know some one, you know, right now, XYZ amazing company is working with so-and-so firm to do their offices, Five years from now or 15 years from now, they're going to hire some other firm to do those same offices over again, right? Mm -hmm. Or to do those offices in a different location and a different company will move into that space, right? So it's really this kind of passing the baton. The second thing is what you said, Verda, is that interior design touches lives. So if you're a structural engineer and you want to reduce the carbon impact of your work, you can specify a low carbon emissions concrete, okay? And those concretes are available. We see those used all the time. For me, sitting in a room, I don't know if the concrete that the building I'm in has fly ash in it or not to reduce its carbon impact. So they can do that, but it doesn't really touch me as a human being. And it, it has removed effects, right, from, from other living beings as well, right? So it, it touches me in the sense that less carbon, carbon dioxide is going in the air. So yes, I'm healthier, but not immediately, whereas interior design immediately touches people, right? So anything you put in an interior, people interact with, other living beings interact with, right? And so we have this sort of unique position, which is not to say that other professions don't touch lives or other professions don't, you know, work with each other, but there is something distinctive about the way interior design works. And so, Verda, you've been right, you know, and John, in your thinking, ASID is thinking about this, um, you know, especially with the impact of design, is that design's impact is multidimensional. It's not just on climate change. It's not just on people's health. It's not just on water and air and those things. It's not just bringing 
a better experience to communities that don't have access to resources or are vulnerable. It's not any one of those things. It's all of those things and at the same time, right? So we have to yeah, take all yeah. those decisions, um, as you said, collectively with each other, but also in this kind of multidimensional way, which is not easy to do. I mean, we have a tough job. We have to acknowledge that. And we're unique, right, to architecture. I mean, you're right. In 2005, the 2030 challenge was created. In 2019, that's when we talked and when I kind of woke up to things. And that was the first thing I did. I looked to see what AIA was doing. And in 2019, they put out a call, a plea that we need urgent and sustained action towards climate. And I looked, so I immediately went to ASID, IEDA, our industry, and I'm, I'm looking around, I'm saying, what are we saying? We need to be shouting from the rooftops as well. Why are we not? <laughs> and I, yeah. I had a chance, I had a chance to write a short article called It's Past Time for Interior Designers to Make Climate Commitments. And I think that's, that's about the time when you and I were talking. And you, yeah. again, you were already five, 10, 20 steps ahead of me, <laughs> or a few no. miles. You know, for us, I think, Verda, it was really important to have you put that out there. And on our end, we started asking around in terms of, you know, well, can we quantify interior designers' impact on climate, just as we have already quantified interior designers' impact on health and well-being? And ASID has been an advocate for, I mean, ASID's headquarters was the first well-platinum certified space in the country. Foundation was already there, right? But then how do we bring this climate piece into it that was sort of missing? And then so in uh, it took us a year. And in November 2020, yep. we published an article that said, Interior Designers, Your Time Is Now, um, which talked about the fact that what we have to look at is the cumulative carbon footprint of interiors every time an interior is renovated, right? Um, we know homes are renovated every few years. We know offices are renovated three to five years. We know hotels are renovated five to seven years. Hospitals are renovated at least every 10 years, right? So every time that happens, there's more carbon emissions being put in the air. So it adds up over time. And that's a concept that, you know, we had to understand first. And then we're very lucky. I have to, to give them a shout out. Um, the Carbon Leadership Forum out of the University of Washington had done a study on tenant improvement projects. And they set the foundation. And then LMN Architects out of Seattle used the calculator that the Carbon Leadership Forum had created used their own office as a guinea pig and studied the renovations of their own office and then found this amazing fact that by the end of its life they're in their office, interior design probably accounted for 50% of the embodied carbon emissions of that space. So equal to the glass and concrete and steel, whatever, mm. for that space. And of course, you know, that's embodied carbon emissions. If anybody wants to know more what that means, uh, there's lots of resources available. Carbon Leadership Firm has an embodied carbon 101, but very simply embodied carbon emissions are the emissions that are already put in the air before anyone ever walks into a building, right? So it is about the extraction, say, taking stuff out of the air, turning it into steel and plastic and glass and all of that, and, you know, cutting down trees for wood, you know, making textiles, all of that stuff, bringing that all together, shipping it to come factories, turning it into products, shipping those products to the site, turning those products into interiors, all of that stuff, and then maintaining those products over time and then disposing them at the end of their life. So all of them, those emissions are embodied carbon emissions. That's what we call embodied carbon. It's not that they contain carbon. It's that 
they embody that they represent certain amount of carbon emissions and you know those for those emissions over the life of any space interior design influences 50% of that right add those up globally we don't really know because a lot of our numbers are about new construction not about renovation so it's very tough currently i'm sure there's research ongoing and we'll figure it out someday right now it's tough to gauge exactly what percentage but you know if we were to take numbers at face value we could end up being about nine and a half or ten percent of the world's carbon emissions by 2050. I feel like yeah. that that article it, it sits by my desk. I must have read it ten times. It was like a major expose of our industry. I feel like it exposed our darkest, dirty secret that we, even as designers, we weren't understanding or realizing the impact of these spaces that turn over on a regular basis, especially us in workplace. We've got. Leases maybe are five or seven years. They've been getting shorter and shorter, right? And so that story was... But but think about the chronic condition of the industry, right? We reward design for the aesthetics, for setting trends, for staying current with trends, for following color trends and pattern trends and textile, right? It's all, as soon as you throw trends into it, whether it's interior design or fashion design, guess what? you're going to have an environmental problem. Exactly what you guys are talking about. And I yeah. know we're not supposed to be talking about this. We're supposed to be talking about the pledge, which we haven't quite gotten to yet. But yeah. But speaking of trends, Avi, again, five miles ahead of us has started the Metropolis Planet Positive Awards, which is looking at not just what's aesthetically beautiful, but what is really doing something beyond just providing being a carpet or being a chair, but actually being a positive force for the planet. I think that last bit, Verda, being a positive force is really important. So, you know, I think as I'm hearing you and John speak, you know, you call the article an expose and yes, to some extent it is. And John, you said the chronic state of the industry. Yes, of course, you know, there is a problem, but our cover line for that issue, we said interior designers save us. Right. Um, And because I think where we recognize that we have a huge negative impact If we just look at that the other way, like just turn that coin, that means that we have that much opportunity for a positive impact, right? We're starting in the red. You can't fall off the floor. (laughs) You can't fall off the floor, right? So, you know, so we have a lot we can do. That's the exciting thing, right? That there's there's just so much opportunity. You're so right. Yeah, I should being so harsh on my industry back a little bit. Um, I think because we're so... human-centered and focused, we have maybe the biggest opportunity to make change, right? Absolutely. And I think that's what you're saying, right, Avi? That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. But Verda, don't beat yourself up because it it takes a voice to catalyze action. Right. And we've talked about this before. This is just how we've been doing things. This is just how how the system works. And so now it's just a matter of stepping up and and reevaluating that system and starting to do things differently, which is what this podcast is all about, looking at people that are doing things differently. And so, Avi, yes, let's let's talk about this pledge. Yeah, well, um, I must say for us, it started out, Verda, with you putting out the call to action. And it was something we'd been talking about internally at Metropolis. I must say, sometimes you get this feeling like, oh, we are one organization, we're one person, Right. Should we really be doing this? Can we really like take this on? 
And then we realized, well, we don't have to do it by ourselves, right? So then it turns out ASID was thinking in much the same way, right? On sort of other aspects of sustainability, IIDA certainly had already been, you know, putting in place tons of programs. I will talk about that in a bit. When your article hit and then when we started hearing about, you know, where other people's heads were at, it started to feel like, okay, a convergence is going to happen, right? Different people are going to bring different pieces of this together and we can turn it into something that the industry can use. So we are working on a set of commitments that interior designers can take that they can then use to guide how they change their practice and guide guide them towards making a positive impact in the world. And guide them in educating their clients and creating a better understanding of where they are right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Luckily, all the organizations, all the major organizations in our industry started out with the same mindset is that we have to say what we stand for and set some you know, some outlines as to what we're trying to achieve here in terms of sustainability. And when we say sustainability, you know, sustainability is uh, can mean everything and nothing to lots of people. But what we mean is responsible practice that makes a positive impact in the world. So if we want to, if we want to create movement towards work that makes a positive impact in the world, we just need to, we just need to say, okay, what are the components of that And we all need to agree on that. We need to create some kind of common language. And then each professional has the space to innovate and to find creative solutions to move themselves towards that goal in the way that they best see fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the, the power of a pledge goes back to, Avi, what you said a minute ago was when you first started thinking about it as, as Metropolis, um, you thought, well, we're just one organization. And I think that a lot of us think, well, I'm just one person. And so the pledge allows us to build this synergy of an industry that's now taking all of this creativity and all of this energy, and we're just trying to focus it in the right direction. And industry coming together. It's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It is really exciting. Avi, how do you, how do you envision the pledge? If you want to go into it a little bit, I know it focuses on some specific buckets, which you think are pretty imperative to creating change. I think it also, it's great that it focuses not so much on reducing, but on making a positive impact. So talk just a little bit about that. Yes, absolutely, John. Happy to. You know, the the pledge, first of all, recognizes that interior designers have the power to make a make a difference in the world. And I think we we talked about, you know, purchasing power and products a little while ago. I just want to be clear, you know, specifying products is not the only way that interior designers can make change in the world. There's many other ways. We have influence over how people behave in space. We have influence over how people behave with each other. We have influence over how people feel in a space, right? So there's so many dimensions to what we do as interior designers. So, you know, when it comes to climate, certainly that purchasing power is the most important thing. When it comes to other aspects of making a positive product work, other things may be more important. But in general, we have to recognize that we have influence. And we have influence not just through purchasing, but through just this vast network. Interior designers' decisions sit at the heart of manufacturers, contractors, dealers, 
um, salespeople, real estate professionals, organizational leaders, HR leaders, workers in factories, artisans, craftspeople, tradespeople. Like there's so many, if you think of yourself as a node in a network, your network is huge. You just don't, you just don't visualize it, right? So the so first, the place says that you have influence through that network. The second thing it does is that it lays out three areas that we think are most important for designers to focus on. The first is design for climate, which we've talked about quite a bit already, which is first to reduce the emissions of our industry and then move towards positive impact. And, and how we do that, you know, is through a lot of different sort of things. And the pledge also within each of these three commitments lays out a few outlines in terms of different paths you can take. So design for climate is the first. The second is um, design for health, where we talk about not just physical health, but also mental well-being, social health, that is, you know, connections between people and strengthening community, and ecological health, which is about, you know, air, water, natural systems, being healthy and being replenished. So design for health is the second one. And then the third one is design for equity. And honestly, we need more resources around this. Um, we need to understand it better. But when we talk about equity, we're talking about a few different things. One is who does design benefit, both in terms of the economy of design, that is, you know, this procurement and manufacturing and all of that, but also who does it benefit as sort of end users, occupants, or people it touches? Yeah. Yeah. So whose it, perspectives it, it, does it involve? Yeah. The great thing about the pledge is I think it gives interior designers a greater perspective that we're not just talking about the interior spaces, right? The impact of design goes well beyond those spaces that you're designing. It impacts communities. It impacts individuals um, that you may not have even been designing for, yeah. but your decisions have an effect on, on those folks. And this is a lesson we learned in 2020, right? So think about the COVID-19 crisis. So you thought of yourself as an interior designer, you designed an office, you designed it let's say theoretically, well platinum, fit well, like highest level, like, right? Like it's the healthiest space in the world. It's amazing, right? And then somebody has a family member who has a COVID-19 infection and they bring it into that space and then people in that space get sick, right? Or the people in that space get sick and then they go home and they don't even know yet. And then they go home and now entire communities are falling sick because of them. And it has happened through this through this amazing healthy space you've designed, right? So mm -hmm. that's the thing is that we're so used to interior in interior design and in the building industry in general, we're used to thinking about our responsibility as the boundaries of the project. And yes, there are legal and sort of other you know reasons for us to have to define that. We can't take responsibility for everything in the world, but we can understand influence, you know. So even mm -hmm. if we're not liable and responsible. We have to design knowing that we, we make a difference in people's lives. We have that influence. Yeah. So, Avi, are you worried at all that the pledge is going to feel overwhelming to designers? If I'm a designer and I've never practiced any kind of sustainable design, I don't know anything about it. Maybe I'm very intimidated by it. What What do you think the pledge will do to include those people and kind of bring them in? I think the pledge is a starting point. I think then it is incumbent upon us as organizations in the industry, whether it's publications, whether it's associations, whether it's manufacturers or even firms to support individuals in those goals. So how do we support them? Because 
you can't just tell somebody, you know, you can't tell an athlete, go win a gold medal in the Olympics without giving them uh, training facilities, the food to nourish themselves, the ability to, you know, exercise the equipment they need, right? So we've set a goal. The pledge sets a goal, right? And then I think it's up to us as an industry to create those resources or to kind of surface that bring to the forefront existing resources that designers can use. And the good thing is that there's a lot of existing resources. Thanks to the Healthy Buildings Movement, we have huge number of resources available for anybody who's interested in looking at the health impacts of, of design. Thanks to some of the work that the associations have been doing, we do have some resources and they're growing on equity. Especially from this past year, we know a lot of firms are looking at equity within their own practice. And so new resources will likely come out of that. On climate, there are databases. You know, if you haven't heard of Mindful Materials, please go check it out. There are places where you can go to guide your decision making. And then at Metropolis, we just launched a climate toolkit for interior design a little while ago. And so we need more resources like that. And no individual and organization or entity is going to, I think at this point, because we're so early in our journey, create the you know ultimate resource. But I think what we can do is create enough resources so that there's something for everybody. And I think we need to, John, to your point, we need to create that something for everybody. And in some places it exists, some places it doesn't, um, you know, and it's going to happen that, you know, we're going to have people who are like, I don't even know how to do this. Where do I start? And then we're going to be, have people like, oh, we've been, you know, assessing this for five years and like, what we don't know is this baseline number for this product category, right? To kind of balance both. Yeah, yeah I was just about yeah. to say that. I love how you how you said it's a starting point because every firm is at a different place in their journey with climate mm. and environment and wellness and all yeah. of that. So you don't want to level set. You want to let people jump in at whatever point they are on in that journey. One of the really interesting things about the pledge, and I knew we felt really strongly about it at ASID, was including, you know, Avi, we just had the conversation a couple of days ago. It's it's not just about interior designers. It's about interior design professionals. So there's a lot of people that have a role in how we create place. And, and we want all of those people to be included in this movement. A hundred percent, right? So we're talking about interior design as an activity, as a profession, and as an as an outcome. And I think this pledge is applicable to anybody who engages in that. So whether you are a professionally accredited interior designer, whether you're a lighting designer, whether you're an environmental graphics designer, um, whether you are, you know, in engineering or in in other things, if you work with interior designers, there's there's hopefully something of value for you in this pledge. Because what it does is it, it lays out the framework, as I said, of what interior design can achieve in the world, how interior design can make a positive impact in the world. Um, and so it's it's open to to anyone who is involved in this profession. And I think the other thing, you know, connecting to what you said a little earlier to Verda, and this was something I think. Um, certainly ASID and the and the associations, IIDA and others care about deeply is that we don't leave people behind, right? I think the intention is we call the pledge a starting point. I'm going to confuse everyone by also calling it a goal, right? So it's a starting point in that it sets out the framework 
but it also, as I said, tells you what we're working towards. We're probably not going to get, we're not going to get there tomorrow. On some of those things, maybe some of us are already there. Others are on their journey. And certainly, I don't think anybody is all the way there on the entirety of, of what the pledge says. It's a journey, right? And and so the point is more, and I hope that, you know, as we talk more and more about the pledge with the industry and as industry professionals who see the pledge, I hope they will understand it's a way of moving them from where they are to a few steps ahead, right? Take those first few steps. Take those next few steps, right? So it's not, it doesn't matter where you are. You can always move forward, right? And that's really important. Yeah, and I think we'll get to a point. We don't have to, that, it doesn't have to be a starting point, but we'll get to the point where uh, there are tools and resources and metrics for designers to have um, a better understanding of the impact of their work and to have metrics in place. And like you said, we have mindful materials out there. We have MindClick out there. You know, there are some really good resources that are developing and that are going to be more and more available. And um, it's all really exciting. And I think, you know, uh, we're happy that that we've got here and we're really excited when uh, we're, we're really excited to see this pledge come to fruition. Yeah. We're close. Yeah, so love to hear what's next, Avi. You've done so much and gosh, this you've really put to good use this pandemic year and a half that we've had. Yeah, and he has no gray hair yet, which I think is amazing. He's either Yeah, he's very resilient this Avi. I think one thing we do need is a carbon calculator that is more specific for interior designers. Certainly, I that's a big one. You know, it's amazing that a lot of manufacturers because they have done declarations, because they've done some of the groundwork, it's just, it's literally just one step more to get, you know, that global warming potential number that you would then need. Because even if you create a carbon calculator currently, like we don't have numbers for certain product categories, right? Uh, so what are you going to feed in the calculator? You know, it's like, it's going to be garbage in, garbage out. So there's lots of things that have to happen on the climate front. That's big. I think while we work more on, on climate and certainly the climate toolkit is far from perfect. We've already started to get feedback from people being like, hey, maybe you should change this. Actually, this doesn't really have to do with climate. It's more this. Should we change that? You know, And that's amazing. That's exactly what we want. We want the toolkit to grow and evolve. From Metropolis's point of view, we're going to be working on adding to the toolkit over time. But even when we do that, I think we want to now look at some other areas, as suggested by the pledge, where we don't have even maybe foundational resources. One thing that I'm very interested in is equity as it is reflected through the supply chains of materials. There are manufacturers, again, who've made progress on this front. It's just not been brought together in a way maybe that designers can understand the implications of it. But, you know, it's important, right? You can have Black Lives Matter sticker on your car and you can you know, really believe in fighting racism. You can be anti-racist to your core. You can even have a client who is all of those things, right? And yet, when you specify products to put in their space, if you're specifying something that is not made with responsible manufacturing, here's another stat. 75% of African-Americans are more likely to live near an industrial facility that produces hazardous waste, right? So, if we only yeah. focus on 
that end of equity and not look at some of the places where we have a material impact on equity in people's lives and justice in people's lives, right? We're missing the boat. So I think there's there's so many fronts. There's so much yeah. to be done. I think that's the amazing thing. I honestly, I'm, I am inspired by what you both do day in and day out and what the leaders in this industry do day in and day out because you you open up avenues for us, right? And I think every time a new opportunity opens, that means there's an opportunity for somebody to take the lead. There's an opportunity for somebody to, you know, really make a difference. And that's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. It could be any one of us, right? It could be any yeah. one of us. Anybody, it could be anyone. anybody. Take, it's yeah, wide take, open. <laughs> take the baton. And yeah, it's yeah. The same here, Avi. We are just so grateful for everything that you've done in the industry. And I have to take a moment to give a shout out to our new fellow podcaster on top of everything else that you're doing. You've also recently launched a podcast called Deep Green. I don't know, Avi, do you sleep? (laughs) Of course I do. I have a fantastic team who works with me and all this stuff. And we rely on the time and the energy that all of you in the industry provide us. We would be nothing without what we do is is do our best to provide a platform for the best ideas in this industry. And so, you know, we're interested in what is the future of architecture and design as expressed through the work that's being done today, right? Um, And so that's what we're all about at Metropolis. And I hope everybody who listens to Breaking Dishes, you know, add Deep Green to your listening lists. (laughs) Um, You know, we come out every couple of weeks. Our latest episode is about how we can create green affordable housing. We're diving deep. Right. And deep green has a double meaning. It's deep in sustainability, but also deep green refers to understanding sustainability in a holistic way, understanding um, human, ecological and other impacts and really considering all of them as one. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Deep Green and listen to what we already have in the archive. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Avi. Thanks so much, everyone. Thank you so much, John and Verda. Always such a pleasure talking to you both. I'm so excited for what lies ahead for the interior design industry. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to wrap this pledge up. That's going to be a big step in the right direction. So, but I I have a feeling you're not going to rest on your laurels. So, uh, you know, we can't. None of us can. (laughs) The fight goes on, man. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it does. All right, Avi. Take care. All right. So that was a great conversation with Avi, right? Berta, what did you think? Good? Good stuff? Yes, absolutely. He is so insightful and our industry needs people like Avi to push conversation and challenge, challenge the industry. And our next conversation, as we said earlier, is going to be with the CEO of ASID, Gary Wheeler. Gary has been in the industry for a long time, a long time practitioner, I always kind of consider Gary one of the gentlemen of the industry. You know, he really brings a lot of dignity to what he does and he's very well spoken. And so we had an opportunity to sit down with Gary in the hallowed halls of Neocon. Actually, Tarquette was kind enough to loan us their showroom. And it was really exciting to be at Neocon and a little weird that we weren't swarmed with people uh, as we typically are at a Neocon. But We had a great conversation with Gary. We did. We did. I enjoyed sitting down with him in person. So I hope you enjoy this little bit as well. He's setting the framework for the pledge. All right. Enjoy. Thanks, listeners.
Okay, so we are actually, this is kind of exciting, Verna. We're live from the floor of Neocon 2021. Can you hear the crickets? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's noisy. (laughs) Bustling with activity, but we're really excited. We've spoken with Avi about this amazing global interior design pledge for positive impact. And today we are sitting down with CEO of ASID, Gary Wheeler. Thank you, Gary, for joining. Great to be here. Great to be here. So we wanted to really get your perspective, ASID, obviously very involved in this pledge. So I really want to hear from you in terms of, you know, why is it important for ASID to be involved in this? Let's start with that. Okay. I I think it's, number one, quite a challenge. But mainly, when this came aboard, it seemed to be perfect timing with COVID and everything else that's happening. The interior design profession needs to lead. And ASID is made up of practitioners in all areas of interior design and interior architecture, from uh, residential to hospitality to corporate to healthcare. And this statement, this pledge that we've come up with, goes across all areas of interior design practice. So as soon as we heard about it, it was absolutely not only do we have to participate we have to help lead yeah and so we stepped in we were already working on something john you found out about what avi was doing we approached them in a very positive way they jumped on board and we've worked as partnership going forward yeah verda was on the, you were you're oh, that's on the right task you were on one of the task force yeah i was on the original task force yeah oh, wow. yeah avi and i go way back to where we had a panel talk about what can designers do how can they step up to address climate change and all of these other issues that we face and since then i think avi and i have both been on a journey <laughs> of sorts and so it's, it's really exciting i think it's an interesting time for associations right like like asid because up until this point we've been advocating for our industry for certification for things like that for building community connecting people but now i feel like we have a whole nother charter that really and a much bigger ecl- one eclipses the yeah, others right? a much bigger one yeah. and i think that The surprise to me, which John and I have talked about a good bit, is after living for 13 years in Europe, uh, London to be specific, and doing work all over the continent, I had assumed this had already been done in America. Because it has, over there, we start all projects with the basis of what would be lead in America. That's Mm -hmm. the starting point. You can go up, and you can go down if a client requested, but they never did. Whereas... John came to me and started talking about this subject. And I said, well, what do you mean? Don't we have that already? (laughs) (laughs) So surprise of moving back to the U.S. and that we were so far behind. In our thinking across the design profession. Now, AIA with the 2030 initiative, you know, that's great. But it's about measurement. It works great for the large firms, especially. This is going to be able to touch everyone, whether you're in a firm of 2000 or your firm of one, this pledge allows you to put your signature down saying, I'm going to do my very best for my clients, for the community and for the planet. Yeah. And to me, that is more than anything. Putting you on the spot. So that's what makes it more than just a pledge. Right? Yes. We're not just signing up and then going about our lives. So maybe describe a little bit of of that. How does ASID keep people engaged? This is the beginning of a long journey. 
because the pledge is very ambitious, very ambitious. And we can't, none of us can do what it's challenging us to do. Not yet. Anyways, today. Right. Yeah. Today. But mm-hmm. to, together we will. And it's much like when lead came out and everyone said, there's no way. Well, this is as big a leap as lead was. And now lead is standard. So 10 years from now, this will be where we start, not where we end. And it's so important for us to set aside our differences, work with our competitors, collaborate with. Yes. Yeah. And that's why I thought it was so exciting that this is for all of North America. We were able to bring in the interior designers of Canada, IDC, IIDA, ASID, and Metropolis are doing this together. And to me, we have to do much more of this. It's not me against you or us against them. It's us together. Absolutely. And it's this cross-pollination, I think, that will make it a success. Yeah. But that means we have to really work at this, and we have to provide the understanding of why it's important, the training so that, again, whether you're in a firm of 2,000, which most of them have it and know what they're doing, but the 80% of the profession is in firms of 200 or less, and most of those in 5 to 10 people. Isn't that mind-blowing? Did you know that? Did you know that? Most of the designers are working for small firms. firms. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And to do that, and by the way, it's the same in architecture. We Mm -hmm. just know about the big firms. Right. Because that's who gets the press, and they're smart. But most of the design profession is in small firms. Mm -hmm. So we need to, as an association, provide the opportunity for our members not only to understand why they need to commit personally, but how and what are the resources they need on products, on design issues, on sustainability, and all of that climate change, you know, carbon neutral, most interior designers don't have a clue. Do you think ASID is going to work with Metropolis to continue to develop that? I absolutely think. I, we're already talking to Avi and AJ Perrin about not recreating the world, what's already there first. Let's yeah. find out what's there. Yeah, and then number two, what's missing? And um, our special projects lead at ASID will start working on finding people to develop CEUs to do that. Mm-hmm. Don't reinvent the wheel, right? Don't yeah. reinvent <laughs> the wheel. And that's why John early on reached out to AIA to make sure that our language was not in contrast to AIA's, but was in... Parallel. In sync. Yeah. Yeah. In sync. Yeah. So, and they were thrilled and supported what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I think that's... Now, it's launching here at Neocon. We're here at Neocon Live. This is so awesome, actually. To be back. In, to be <laughs> yeah. back. To in be the mark, right? And in the mark. It was a little odd last night, but I quickly got used to it. And then it's really wonderful having this podcast in person. In person, in, a show, in the Tarket showroom. Yeah, know, This right? is actually our thank first you, live. Thank you, Tarket. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tarket, for, yeah. for making your showroom so available to <laughs> yeah. us. Yeah, so tell us, you, you went to the launch this yes. morning at 11. So we had the launch, and Avi was our host, of course. And we had Ken Wilson and uh, David uh, Cordell. Cordell, who helped write the statement it was great having us all in one room, and we were hoping for 30 to 40 people to show up. There were over 60, and they stayed. They asked questions afterwards, and they signed the wall. 
So we have a very good start on pledge and people were signing up and going through it. And the surprise was we had about 15 students from the University of Michigan. So we went out of our way to point and say, you, this is on your shoulders. We're dumping this on you because you're the ones that are going to have to lead us through this. So we talked about, you know, the perfect storm with COVID and everything, and that this is the time that interior designers must lead, not follow, but lead. We deal with the individual, their health, their safety, and their physical and mental health. Right. And architects don't do that. Engineers don't do that. Right. We do. And if we don't lead us out of this, not only shame on us, but we won't be in business. Yeah, and you're so right about the interior design industry being the industry that can really affect change because yep. we're so in tune with, with people and their needs. And what we really need to be doing right now to reverse climate change is basically to change everything, the way we do everything, how we shop, how we buy, how we consume, how we We (laughs) we interact socially, how we we move around, um, how we do business, everything needs to change. And in order to do that, we need to set up, like you said, modes of adaptability, modes of resilience, ways to start looking at the world differently, and ways to start building new and better habits so that we can really address the future. And so much of the talk in the past has been about building a building and, you know, the carbon capture and all of this. But the building's built and it's there for 50 to 100 years, generally. Yeah. The interior gets ripped out every 10. Yes. And it all goes to the dump. The furniture, the carpet, the ceiling, yeah. everything, and yeah. the sheetrock all goes into a dump, and then we start over. Yep. And so interior designers need to work with their clients to say, you know, this layout isn't so bad. Maybe we reconfigure the conference rooms or because we don't need rooms for 20 people anymore, but we need more adaptable spaces. But how do you use the majority of the space by painting or whatever to upgrade it for your brand and your experience without ripping it out and throwing it in the trash can? And if interior designers realize, you know, it's one thing you're going to save a Barcelona chair. But you're not going to sh- save the stack chairs in the cafeteria. Especially if they're the wrong color. <laughs> they don't match. And they're never the right color. I will tell you right now, as an interior right. designer, no matter right. what I inherit, it's the wrong. It's the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's Unless a- it's a Barcelona chair. But, <laughs> but then it's the wrong color leather. And so I yeah. buy new ones anyway. <laughs> so, but I think that that's part of it. The design is still going to be exceptional. We will always give our clients good design. But it's this integration of sustainability, health and wellness, diversity, so that it can be used by many different people for different reasons. And that goes to the adaptability thing you mentioned. That is what it's about. And if we can do that, we can change our world. Yep. Addressing how we, how as humans, we interact with the ecosystem, how we're a part of supporting that ecosystem versus just in our 
in our own little, little cocoon. Our own little cocoon. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, the, the climate pledge is super exciting. I'm going to t- tomorrow. They're going to do another. And you're going to sign up then. I'm going to go to the metropolis. I'll beat you. <laughs> I'll have to find you and, and write my name somewhere okay. near top, you. Top right. Okay. But yeah, metropolis is doing a sustainability lab, and they're open all day today, all day tomorrow, and. And that's yeah. part of it, the climate pledge, the, the climate off. toolkit, and it's super exciting. And, and the toolkit is great. Yeah. yeah. And we're, I'm just so excited that ASID has, has um, really taken the lead in this. It's fantastic. I'm also excited that not only is it time or it's past time, but that it's being endorsed by a good many of us, not just one or two. Yeah. And I think that's core to this is that it's on behalf of the profession and our clients in the world, not about me. And I think that's came out very loud and clear at the first kickoff. And I think tomorrow you'll have more people in the room because I think that it's going to spread that what's going on in there and how important it was. Mm. I noticed Sashi Khan, head of IFI and Mm. National Federation Interior Designers, was in the back of the room. She had to leave before we finished, so I didn't get to talk to her. But if we can bring them aboard and others like that, this could become a global issue it needs yeah, to become a global issue. i actually ran into her okay. when I, just on my way into the mart and she was talking we were i was telling her about the the pledge maybe that's why she came up okay that well, maybe. Yeah, I'm trying, you, I'm I'm trying it's your to, fun influencer she i am is. trying to spread the word but she used to was she was just in europe helsinki or something and she's talking about how this there is a groundswell the stuff is finally bubbling up and i really and that's do feel the positive like, thing yeah. about this and that organization has membership from around the world. We need to support that and and get their help. Yeah. Um, and so John and I had already been talking about how we approach them. And I think now that we're launched, we yeah. can maybe do that. Yeah, for awesome. sure. We had to get our act together first. You know, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I think this pledge is going to be so important for the industry. And I think that I there were several of my former employees in the room. And they signed up right there. Awesome. So I was thrilled to see one from New York and one from L.A. And they both signed up. Go. They were thrilled yeah. it's our to job. see that. Our so job is spread the word, get everybody to sign up. Get everybody out there. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, you're here. Gary, thanks for joining us today. We know you're busy. Poor guy. He's going to have 15,000 steps in by the end of today. <laughs> His calves will be cramping up. I feel bad. <laughs> and Gary, thanks for supporting ASID, thank oh, you no, thank for supporting. You. It's been a great honor. Yeah. Great honor. I came in for three months. It's now been a year and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Gary Gary thinks he's going to leave. But, uh, I don't think he's going to. We're not going to let him go. But thank you, Gary. Appreciate thank you. It.